Let's learn about what PDA autism is. Hey guys, welcome back to my channel. So on today's video, I kind of wanted to do something a little bit different. I was originally going to make a video talking about what PDA autism was, but the reality is, is that I'm not completely confident in what it is. So I thought it would be more realistic for me to just record a video learning about the topic and give some sort of insight or input as to what I think. Well, it first of all stands for pathological demand avoidance. And I'm not quite sure if this is something that neuropsychologists or psychologists can test or assess for when you do go in for your autism assessment. I personally never even heard about it during my assessment or prior to my assessment. All of that to say, I'm not diagnosed with PDA autism, but the few things that I've heard about it, I definitely resonate a lot with it just because if I were to reflect on a lot of my life, I did have a lot of struggles with other people, specifically authority figures because of what pathological demand avoidance is. It's affected how I've been able to function at schools. It's affected the way I've been able to function at work. And it's even affected my life in interpersonal ways. So it's affected my ability to maintain routines and it's affected my relationships with other people, of course. Usually when I am learning about a topic, I like to start off with searching up very objective definitions of something. So usually that's through the form of articles. So let's read through some articles. So this article says, what is pathological demand avoidance and how can we address it? I will say right off the bat, what is really frustrating about doing research on things like this and autism in general is that literature and research is very much so geared towards children, which is extremely frustrating because it's not inclusive of adults who deal with these things and it's hard for some of us to be able to conceptualize something and learn about something when the literature is written for a very specific experience that we are just not living. I'm not a child, so sometimes it would be hard for me to read a whole article about children and be able to contextualize that for myself. And I found just in general, researching anything autism related is so difficult when it comes to adults, which is part of the reason why I made my channel. Just wanted to vent about that really quick, just because I'm about to read about kids right now. Pathological demand avoidance is a condition associated with autism spectrum disorder. It is a rare behavioral phenotype of ASD that is characterized by an overwhelming or obsessional need to resist or avoid demands, which can often lead to sensory overwhelm causing meltdowns and violent outbursts. Although children in general may often try to avoid demands, children with PDA engage in avoidant behaviors at a greater level. The key underlying factor is the extreme levels of anxiety associated with the loss of control, which can feel like a panic attack because of high levels of anxiety. They will often respond with a no, even to tasks or activities that they normally enjoy and can spend a great deal of energy trying to gain control of situations and people. That definitely sounds like me. I oftentimes as a child got described as bossy, assertive. I think a part of it is also outgoing, but I think a part of being outgoing is like you're corralling situations or people to do something a certain way and being in control so that you're not being told what to do. So some of the key characteristics associated with PDA include resisting ordinary demands. This could be day-to-day -day things such as brushing teeth, packing school bags, etc. When children with ASD may resist demands by refusing, withdrawing, or ignoring the demands, children with PDA use strategies which can be seen as socially manipulative to avoid demands. For example, by making excuses, distracting, procrastinating, using threats, and physically incapacitating self. An example will be saying, my arms don't work. That part I don't resonate with as much just because I'm not good at manipulating. 
I feel like I'm almost the opposite. I'm a little bit too honest and straightforward to my detriment, which I'm sure I'll get into as we learn more about what PDA autism is. They may come across as being more social than what you would expect, for example, demonstrating good eye contact and good conversational skills. However, they may lack a deeper understanding of social interactions and lack social responsibility, have difficulties with peers, and lack social constraint and boundaries. I definitely struggled a lot with those things. I will say, if I could add something to that, Growing up, I had a hard time understanding social rules, social processes, and social consequences. So these more systematic social concepts. So what that means is I remember very viscerally in high school having such a hard time grasping the concept of we go to school from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m., five days a week to learn all of these subjects, do all of these extracurriculars in order to get grades so that we could graduate and go to college. And there's like all of these things that you have to do and don't have a choice in that leads to something else that you're going to have to do that you don't have a choice in. And it's just like your life is planned out for you already. And therefore, I had a hard time following those social normities of being able to show up five days a week to class and getting grades to pass and like studying and doing homework and all of these things. And I would end up, let's say, skipping class or I would end up even cheating on a test because I don't see the point in studying that certain subject because let's say I didn't want to go to anything that has to do with math. In college, why do I have to put so much time and effort into learning math and passing all those tests, doing homework? It's just wasted time. So I would just cheat on my test because what's the difference, right? In my mind, I'm like, all we need to do is get a letter grade that passes. And so I had a hard time grasping even just the concept of grades and why A through C was passing, but D through F was not passing. And then I would be like, in order to get this letter, all I have to do is pass the test, but I don't have to pass the test like everyone else does. I could still look like I have all the knowledge. I could pass the test. I could get the letter. I could get all these results in a different way. And I would get really confused if I were to ever get in trouble if I got caught doing certain things like cheating when in my mind I was like there's a lot of people out there who didn't hypothetically cheat but they're able to pass those tests even though they don't necessarily remember those concepts after taking the test they could completely just forget about it which makes no difference between me not even learning it to begin with so it, all of these concepts I feel like it was hard for me to grasp and I remember feeling this intense sense of like derealization because of it, because I felt like I was just floating around all of these situations and none of it was my choice. And every time I did try to choose something, it always seemed wrong somehow. And it was hard for me in those moments to face reality and understand why it was wrong especially when conceptually I was able to abstract these concepts and be like, what's the difference here? You know, children with PDA may find it difficult to find their place within the social hierarchy and can insist that they may be treated as adults, disregarding parents' role as authority figures. Oh my God, I struggled so much with that just throughout my adolescence. And I will say, I feel so bad for anyone out there who has PDA that are children or adolescents right now because I think that is the hardest time you could go through as someone who has PDA because everyone is telling you what to do and you cannot make your own decisions especially if those decisions contradict what other people need you to do or want you to do that sentence perfectly expresses that struggle having a difficult time finding your place in social hierarchy yes i had a hard time understanding why adults and especially teachers automatically needed to be respected just because they're a different age than you. As a child, I remember being in so many moments where I'm like, I genuinely don't respect you as a person. You do not have good moral values. You're a hypocrite. You contradict yourself all the time. And I remember in certain moments, it would really get me in trouble because I would 
say certain things to teachers or authority figures that weren't appropriate because I found a flaw in the way that they carried themselves or their rules. So for example, a teacher who would give a student a really good grade for her painting in my AP painting class, but if my paintings were objectively better, she would give me C's or even D's. And it just didn't make sense to me because yes, okay, if you want to hold me accountable or to reprimand me in any sort of way, that's fine. But there has to be a consistency there so that I know that there are certain rules and I feel like I'm consciously breaking them. Again, I think this is all going to tie back to the concept of consenting. I feel like when there's inconsistencies there, there's no consent there because I don't know I'm making a mistake and yet I'm constantly facing the consequences of making a mistake that I didn't know I was making. All the while other people are making the same mistakes or would have needed to face the same consequences but are able to get by without being reprimanded. And so that never made sense to me. And that would always really frustrate me. And I feel like that profoundly affected me in my relationship with my parents as well as a teenager because every time they demanded me to listen to them and respect them, I would think to myself, this doesn't make sense because they don't raise me and protect me and guide me like parents should. So why should I respect them and listen to them as their child? Like if they are constantly scapegoating me, if they are neglecting me or abusing me, they have lost their right as parents. And so part of those rights is me listening to them, respecting them, doing what they say. I feel like if I had to raise myself, if I had to be there to emotionally support them and placate their arguments, and in many ways I was parentified, and in many ways I had to just be there to raise myself, then I do not have to exist within the confines of being a child, listening and doing what adults or parents have to say. They often understand rules but don't feel that they apply to themselves. They can also engage in behaviors that are intended to shock or upset others. For example, by asking personal questions, making loud inappropriate comments, or having meltdowns in front of peers. I remember when I was in school, there was a certain homework assignment that you had to do for every single class. And for me, I would put so much effort into these homework assignments. And so in my mind, I was thinking to myself, it doesn't make sense for me to have to do five different homework assignments, one for each class. It would make sense for me to do one homework assignment that is worth five classes worth of work and effort. And for me to turn in that same homework assignment to every class. And so I remember seeing the homework assignments that my other classmates would turn in. The quality in their work and the effort being put in was like a one out of five for each assignment, but they completed all five assignments, right? And for me, I was like, I don't wanna turn in one out of five quality work. I'd rather turn a five out of five quality work, put in a shit ton of effort and just do it once because it's not realistic for me to do five, five out of five quality works. And so I remember I did this for a while and one of my classmates that was in multiple classes with me saw that I was turning in the same work to multiple classes and technically, yes, that was against the rules, but to me, conceptually, it just didn't make sense for the school to be encouraging me to turn in one out of five quality work. Like, why would you want to encourage someone to do just a little bit of what they're potential is, you know? Like, wouldn't you want to encourage someone to put in all this effort in creating something beautiful instead of just subpar work? And I remember when she tattletailed on me, I got called into the principal's office and they were just like, you're turning in the same thing for all these classes. And I was like, yeah, but I also spend like hours and days on this one thing. And they were just like, that. it's just not, a, it's against the rules. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you have to follow the rules. I just ended up following the rules for the rest of the semester and turned in a bunch of crappy quality homework assignments, but at least I was following the rules, right? I just hate the way that this is phrased. So how do we address these challenges to increase compliance and engagement? 
Oh my God, that makes me so mad. Like you guys have no idea. Compliance. Oh, compliance. I hate that word, compliance. It makes me so mad. Anytime I'm in a situation now as an adult where I hear another adult complaining about a child or complaining about a child, especially that isn't listening, I never default into enabling the adult to keep complaining. I always need to hear out the situation and all of those objective factors in order to make my own discernment and opinions of like, okay, who is wrong in this situation? Or is the child really at fault here? For example, I hear a lot of teachers and adults complaining about how children nowadays in school just do not have an attention span. They are incapable of learning. They're incapable of carrying out conversations. They're all just glued to their phones and all of that stuff, right? Like, this is what I hate about adults sometimes is just how much they're used to blaming children without actually critically thinking about how children are impacted and why they make the decisions that they make or why they are the way they are and taking ownership over their own contributing factors to those results, right? I usually like to default to the children not being at fault because children are the result of their environment. How many of these adults complain about their children's behavioral issues and how many of these children are learning those behavioral issues directly from their own parents and their mentors or authority figures. Like, you are complaining about these kids, but at the same time, when they're opening up to you, you're not really engaging with that or respecting their experience or what they have to say. You're not putting effort into teaching them or guiding them into figuring out what are the best ways for them to learn or ingest information. Are you guiding them on what it means to have emotional intelligence or patience? Or are you just brushing them off all the time or yelling at them or reprimanding them all the time without teaching them anything? Before you freaking complain about kids and what they're doing wrong, how about you figure out what your doing wrong in raising that child in the way that you think they should be. Like if you want a child to be compliant or to be engaged, why don't you engage with them? You know, why don't you show them different ways that they can engage? Why don't you make engaging a good experience, an enriching experience, instead of just saying you're not compliant, right? Why don't you explain to them why they need to comply or the benefits and reasons of compliance? Don't just freaking expect someone to comply when there's so many contradicting factors and inconsistencies within those systems and you yourself can't even explain why they have to comply. How many times when you ask them why you have to do something, they say, just cause, or you have to listen to me cause I'm the teacher, I'm the adult, I'm your parent, don't question me. It honestly is just so enraging to me, the concept of just needing to jump off a bridge because someone told you to, when in reality, it's not that you're unwilling to, it's like, you just need to hear from them that you'll be safe when you jump off the bridge, that there's a cushion there for you to fall into, or there's a parachute that's on your back and you just need to learn about how to make the parachute go off so that you can land safely. And I just feel like people are so impatient and unwilling to explain that to you. I feel like people deeply misunderstand and underestimate the ability of children. And it's just something I feel so passionate about because I was that child. I fully understand that adults are very much so able to be stupid, inconsistent, and don't make any sense. They're just capable of that. I will say that as a child, I will say that as a teenager, and I will say that now as a fellow adult. I think a lot of the times people with PDA are actually very logical people. And I think that's the problem is in situations where they're not wanting to comply, it's not because it's just out of sheer rebellion. I mean, sometimes it could get to that point if their PDA is met with a lot of negative experiences throughout time, but that's like a whole other thing that has to do with like your nervous system and neurology. But just kind of like foundationally and generally speaking, I think people with PDA, are very logical and it's actually situations that have no logic or consistency that we have issues complying with and it's a lot of the times when we're faced with another person usually an authority figure that is forcibly making us comply 
without logic, that's usually when the emotion comes into play, where you're so distressed from needing to comply to an illogical request that you almost have no way of logically dealing with it or responding and you end up just getting very flooded with emotions and unable to regulate that. So personal experiences that I've had with this is, again, with school. I encounter this a lot with school. I remember one time in my chemistry class, I had a really difficult teacher. He was known throughout the high school to be very hard. And mind you guys, I grew up in the Bay Area and the Bay Area has the most toughest, high-performing schools in the country. I was always surrounded by children that were very smart, uh, very capable, and very compliant because that's just what I was raised in. Very opposite of me. All my skill sets are like the opposite of that. And so in class, this teacher was Chinese. And I remember during one of his lectures, I was leaned over while listening to him, which that was my usual posture in class is leaned over. And it wasn't because I was being disrespectful, you know, like I have actual like medical issues like scoliosis. And I remember him turning around and looking at me and he just calls me out in front of the whole class. He's like, Irene, sit up straight. That is so inappropriate. That is so disrespectful. Why are you leaned over like you're about to fall asleep? And oh my God, that triggered me so much because one, I feel embarrassed right now. Like I'm literally being called out and everyone is looking at me. And then he starts going into this whole spiel about how when he taught kids in China, they were all so respectful and compliant and he's never met someone that was so disrespectful in his life. He just kept forcibly telling me to sit up. And I remember thinking to myself, why does he associate posture and a very specific posture and a way of sitting to respect and to learning better? Because I could be slouched over and still technically get better grades than everyone else and understand the literature better than everyone else. Likewise, someone could be sitting up straight and just be completely not paying attention and don't respect him at all. Whenever someone gives me specific things to follow, I usually try to abstract that idea of like, okay, straight posture equals respect. But at the same time, bad posture could also equal respect. And good posture can equal disrespect. You know what I'm saying? Like, so when things like this happen where I genuinely don't understand why there is a certain concept or rule, I get really upset. I guess like a normal response would be to just sit up straight and get on with your life. But get this, the way I responded was to gather my binder and my notebook and everything, put it in my backpack. I didn't even say anything. I got up and I walked out of the classroom. I am not dealing with this. I do not feel safe in this classroom. I do not feel like these rules are safe or make any sense. I do not have to keep sitting here and taking this. Again, like having a hard time conceptualizing hierarchies. I don't necessarily need to automatically listen to or respect you as a teacher, and especially if you're forcing your authority on me in this way, I sure as hell am not gonna respect you or stay in this classroom. I walked out and I remember I just went off somewhere, I think in the bathroom or another classroom. And I remember just sitting there and sobbing because I felt so intensely flooded with emotion. And I remember they had to like send the school security guard to go look for me. I think she found me at one point and was like, you have to go back to class. And I was like, I refuse, no. And they ended up having to take me to the office where I stayed in for the remainder of the, what's it called again? When you're, is it called a period? For that period, I think I stayed in the office. I'm not sure if they made me go see the counselor, but yeah, I just refused to go back in that class. Be consistent, decide on the non-negotiables, explain the reasons for doing and stick to them. To children, consistency makes the world predictable and therefore much less confusing. Yes, I agree with that. As long as you're able to be consistent in situations where they're not understanding why they have to do something, if you're able to explain why and how, it makes a huge difference, you know? And that's the thing is, in situations as a child, teenager, and adult where the other person in the authority role is able to tell me exactly what I have to do, and they're pretty much consistent about it, and they're able to explain how and why, I'm like the most compliable person. I literally comply 
to a T and I comply more than an average person. I try to figure out the root of why something is there and why we're doing it. And I like to be able to consent to whether or not I feed into it. And a lot of the times those people who do just blindly comply, they never feel as passionately about those things because it's like whatever to them. And likewise, when they don't comply to something, I could get really offended or just really frustrated because I feel so passionately about that thing. So I'm like, why is everyone not doing this thing? This is a really reasonable and important thing for us to all comply in. You know, it's just like, you never really feel in alignment with how the majority is moving and interacting within a certain social structure. Growing into adulthood and gaining more autonomy has helped me so much in my life, especially with those PDA tendencies and characteristics because I find that if I am able to consent to situations and I'm able to make my own decisions, it makes me a lot more functional in my own life. Working for myself has made such a big difference. Before, when I was working at corporate jobs or for other people and amongst other people, I was hitting burnout so quickly. Like every two years, a wall of burnout where I had to quit my job and have three months of just not doing anything in a state of shutdown before I could apply to another job. Whereas now that I have been working for myself and maintaining my own business, I have not experienced burnout, like at all. I am just able to consistently keep going and going and going, building my own schedules, holding myself accountable, hitting my goals that I set for myself. I'm able to manage myself is the thing. In a sense, that makes things a little bit easier when you grow into adulthood because I think being an adult or having the title of being an adult automatically grants you a little bit more freedom, autonomy, and respect that you just don't get as a child. And that's the difficult thing about being a child and having PDA. And so I super, super empathize with anyone watching this that might be underage in any sort of capacity. It's hard. I know. I know it's so hard. <laughs> I wish I could give you guys a hug and tell you it's going to be okay. I'm not saying that things automatically get better when you're an adult because you still have people telling you what to do. <laughs> That's just kind of how jobs work. When I'm building a routine, in the beginning, I'm perfectly capable of maintaining the routine because it's something I'm choosing to do, right? But as soon as I feel a sense of responsibility to maintain the routine and to keep doing it a certain way, immediately I stop. Immediately I'm, I'm not consistent anymore. I wish I wasn't like that. I wish I was more neutral, you know, just like when I start a book, I could consistently read it until I finish it. Or when I start running every single week, I could consistently do it every week. But it's like every time I start to feel like, oh my God, I should be reading that book or I need to go run because that's just the routine I have. I start avoiding it. I start feeling like it's not desirable anymore. And that's really difficult because you could genuinely want to do that thing or it could genuinely be good for you. But just the weight of that responsibility and that obligation is enough to make you want to avoid it. And so the ways that I've been trying to deal with that is by allowing myself the freedom to say no. I do find that long term, it's actually is better for me to be able to say no because it alleviates that pressure of that obligation and allows me to return back to doing that activity more quickly than if I were to keep forcing myself to do it and then reach an ultimate burnout from that responsibility. So if I were to take a break from running one week and be like, it's okay for me to say no, I'm not going to run this week. Next week, I will feel more inclined to doing it because it feels like I have the power of consent, right? And the ways that I'm impacted within my relationship with my partner is I've noticed that when he springs things on me, we come back from the grocery store, for example, and he's like, oh, let's go clean the kitchen. It's hard for me to one, make that transition from being outside running errands to now cleaning the kitchen. But two, I don't like when someone tells me that we should go do something, even though I technically wouldn't have mind cleaning the kitchen in that moment. I have to almost offer up some sort of compromise so that I feel like I'm consenting to it. So I will say something like, I want to clean the kitchen with you, but can I get a little bit of a transitional point? Like I just need 30 minutes to lay here and rest and do something else 
And then at, let's say 5.30, we could start cleaning the kitchen together. That's what I need a lot of the times to feel safe in complying because it's really difficult for me to just say yes. It really makes my nervous system extremely dysregulated to feel like I don't know whether or not I wanna do this, but either way, it's not my choice. It's me listening to this person and complying. Like I wanna feel like it's always my choice somehow. PDA autism is having a visceral reaction every single time someone asks you to do something, especially if I was already going to do that thing. The absolute feeling like the, the welling up of the the rage and the defiance at how dare you be telling me to do something is just insane and the violence behind it like the level of aggression that I feel and that I obviously have to hold in because I have learned how to hold that in and not verbally or physically abuse people it's no wonder children with PDA have got such violent outbursts my biggest claim to fame is probably the fact that I have learned to hold my tongue and hold in the absolute frustration that I feel at somebody telling me to do something, especially in the work environment. I have got the most amazing boss. I love her to absolute bits and pieces, but the minute that she tries to tell me something that I was already going to do or that just simply asking me to do anything and I have to bite back so hard. That is so true because I remember one time I was walking out of the house to go to school and my mom takes a look at me and she was like, is that what you're going to wear? Which is an implication to your outfit doesn't look good or it's not appropriate, therefore you have to change it. I remember immediately responding in a way where I was like, yep, this is what I'm going to wear. I'm confident in it. But the whole time driving to school, I was second guessing my outfit because deep down I agreed with my mom and I was like, yeah, this outfit isn't cute. Then you really start to spiral, right? Because you think that you're making a choice in order to maintain your autonomy, but are you truly maintaining your autonomy when you aren't allowing yourself to do something that you actually want to do? I secretly wanted to go change, but I wasn't allowing myself to go change because I didn't want my mom to think I was listening to her. That was me tricking myself into thinking I was autonomous, but I'm really objectively not autonomous in that moment because I'm not able to do what I wanna do. In those moments, you get really frustrated because it feels like you're kind of trapped because you feel like no matter what you do or don't do, it doesn't feel like it's completely your choice. My sister-in-law's son has PDA and he's really young. He's only like four and a lot of the adults in his life struggle to be around him because he hasn't got the control yet to hold back the, the verbal or the physical like outbursts that occur when he feels under threat from the fight or flight being triggered with his PDA. And so they'll have stories of, oh my gosh, like, you know, he's just unmanageable. He called me an idiot. And I'm kind of like, yeah, I get it. Like he's so young. He's not going to have any ability to withhold that impulse that he feels. And, and I can, because I'm an adult, I'm, I'm 30 years old for God's sake. Like I would certainly hope that I have got some power over my ability now to hold back the, the physical or the verbal like reaction that I have to my PDA being triggered. And that's what it boils down to, right? The, the, the feeling never goes away. We just learn to, to better manage it. And internalizing it is really, really exhausting. But if the, the alternative to internalizing it and holding it in is to physically and verbally, you know, be confrontational to the people in my life, then I would much rather hold that in. I think being able to make our own decisions is really important to us. Being able to make our own mistakes is really important to us because the last thing we want to do is to be forced into doing something or influenced into doing something and you have other people to blame. You actually want to take accountability for your mistakes and learn from them. You know what I'm saying? Because if you are consciously making a decision and made a mistake, you could therefore or backtrack and think about all the ways that it went wrong and adjust. But when you're being constantly influenced by other people, it's hard to adjust to those situations because you weren't fully in control to begin with. And it makes you feel very helpless and it makes the world feel like it just doesn't make sense and it's not in your control. I just 
totally resonate with that concept of like moments where people are telling me to think a certain way, have a certain opinion, do a certain thing. Maybe I allow myself to be open to that and I go along with it to later down the line be proven wrong or the situation doesn't work out. And then I feel just to my bones so bothered that I can't take full accountability for it because in all actuality, it's because I was influenced by another person. I want to explain why I say I'm never gonna grow out of the PDA, pathological demand avoidance, why I talk about it being a nervous system disorder and how it's not like the reaction ever goes away physiologically, it's just we learn to cope with it better basically and we resource ourselves better. So I wanna explain that using an example from my husband and I. So tonight, we've been married for 11 years and this is a stable, securely attached relationship. Like obviously we've had our ups and downs, whatever, but he's my safe person, okay? And I'm feeling very safe right now in my relationship. There's no reason for me to be having threat responses, okay? Um, however, because this is a nervous system disorder that I can't control, that's never gonna go away. What happened tonight was he called me right before there was like a transition that was about to happen. Okay, so I'm autistic, so transitions are tricky. Um, he calls me and he's like, hey, change of plans, which first, right up, right off the bat, change of plans, it's just not a great way to present it to someone who's autistic. And I'm not saying he has to, I'm just saying it activates my nervous system. There's nothing we can do about that. So immediately I'm like, oh great, change of plans. And he's telling me what they are. So that feels like I'm losing my autonomy, right? I hear how ridiculous this sounds out loud as I say it, but bear with me. So I can all of a sudden feel the physiological arousal. I'm like overwhelmed and flooded and I feel really like angry. I can feel that emotion. I have no story to connect it to. Okay. Like there's no reason for it. There's no like so-and-so is bad because this happened or I'm bad because this happened. There's, there's literally no narrative to it. It's just, I'm physiologically activated, which usually I can like figure out a way to work through myself or, um, or I just like, don't come downstairs. I'm like, I gotta, I need to figure something out. Hold on. But this time I went down cause I was like, I don't know what to do with this. And I was like, okay, I just feel like grumpy and angry and activated because I think I feel like whatever happened, the change of plans, all these things. But I, I don't actually like, I can feel that I need to level against you. That's what we do. Leveling behavior to cancel out feeling like our autonomy was stolen from us. Right. But leveling can hurt people because that's what you're doing. You're leveling against them. And so I was telling my husband, like, I don't want to level against you, but I think that's what I need. Cause he's like, what do you need? What does your nervous system need to feel safe again? And I was like, I need to level against you. But like, I know that would make me feel better if I was mean to you right now. And then you stayed safe through that. That would reassure me. Right. But I'm like, but I think that's kind of toxic and I don't want to have to do that. So is there another choice? So we started, I was like, let me go play the piano for a minute and see if the special interest will pull me out of it. And that didn't work. And he's like, do you need to like punch me? And that didn't really help. I will say sometimes doing something like that could, oh, sorry, my spine was hurting. Doing something like that could exacerbate the frustration and anger because let's say in her story, you go do a special interest to perhaps calm yourself down. But if you aren't able to enjoy your special interest, sometimes the autistic person could get frustrated that your enjoyment of your special interest was kind of taken away from you. Like, I could have enjoyed this if it wasn't for you putting this responsibility on me or this last minute change on me. And I'm not saying this is reasonable, right? This is just how we may feel inside. You almost feel like the other person is sabotaging you because now it's kind of infected everything else, if that makes sense calling me so eventually I said we need to play games we need to play like video games and so we did we started playing video games and it was all of us me and him and our two kids and that was enough to like ground me or something and moved me past the uh, nervous system dysregulation that I was able to flip back into like Whew, okay I want to be here again and this is not a big deal because it wasn't a big deal the thing is why I say PDA is never gonna go away is because during this whole thing I was very conscious and very cognizant of the fact that I was having a PDA reaction that actually made no logical sense. Like the change of plans was an overall improvement in the situation, to be honest, probably. And it was the right call. And I knew that logically, and I was happy about it. 
and that's the thing about PDA is that sometimes it could really F with your perception if you're not conscious of it because you kind of always default into perceiving that anything out of your control is bad because the last thing you want to do is to close yourself off to those positive possibilities just because it was introduced to you outside of your will. I still felt activated because I felt like decisions were made without my input about my environment and my situation or whatever. It's like, there's just panic about that, even though that is unreasonable. Okay. So I'm resourced. I have a safe attachment figure here that I'm working through these things with. Like I have all the things I'm doing, all the things you're supposed to do for PDA. I'm regulating my nervous system. I'm on medications for it. It, it doesn't change the physiological nervous system activation. And the only way I can explain it is we feel unsafe. We just feel physiologically unsafe. And it, we know it doesn't make sense, but there's no way to bring us out of that, at least me, without engaging me in my special interest, um, like physiologically co-regulating with me. Like there are certain things you can do, but you know, it's taken 11 years of marriage for us to get to the point where I can be like, this is what's happening and I need help with it because I don't know how to pull myself out of this. Props to her. She's super self-aware and is putting in the effort with her partner in figuring out what would work best for them. I will say though, you guys, I wish I did see a lot more people of color talking about autism. I'm just saying this because as I'm scrolling down the page of PDA autism, it's just like all white creators. I don't quite understand PDA. Isn't it usually presenting as the opposite of people pleasing? Not validating you, please educate me. So there's really two ways that PDA can manifest. And just for clarification, if you've never heard of PDA, it's a profile of autism. It's also being found to be associated with ADHD. It stands for pathological demand avoidance or pervasive drive for autonomy. People within the community tend to identify more with the pervasive drive for autonomy. So that's what I'm going to refer to it as in this video. So there's two ways that PDA can manifest. PDA can manifest in a way that is externalizing, which what this generally will look like is lashing out at people when they request a demand of you, um, or it will be perceived as active and intentional defiance because they don't wanna comply, which that's not really what's happening. So people who are externalizers and have or the PDA profile of autism, they generally get misdiagnosed with things like ODD or even BPD because it seems like anytime something is going on in their life that's a request or demand, they self-sabotage or they lash out at that thing. So externalizers for PDA generally fall on the fight mm. spectrum of the um, nervous system response. That doesn't mean they can't be in other areas too, uh, but generally that's what we see happening when their PDA is activated, is them fighting and flighting. Whereas internalizers, which is what I was talking about in that video because I'm definitely an internalizer, which I think this could be predisposed on just like the way your brain works, but I also think a component of it is probably like childhood, childhood trauma, any sort of CPTSD, that that's going to complicate things and affect that trauma response. So for me as an internalizer, instead of lashing out when people request a demand of me, I realize that there is nervous system activation happening in my body, but instead of responding outwards, I don't feel safe to communicate that, and that's due to a childhood of eggshell parenting and narcissistic parents that are emotionally immature and it was not safe for me to react or to be defined in any way. And I know that there's also cases where like externalizers, PDA externalizers, they also weren't safe, but they can't control that reaction. So I think there's a genetic component of it too. But as an internalizer, I internalize that stress, that feeling, and I project it back onto me as being a my fault or me problem. Um, even in cases where it is someone requesting a demand on me when I have communicated to them the way that that activates my nervous system. One thing I forgot to add is that for internalizing PDA, those types of people tend to fall into the fawn and freeze responses and that's often caused gen uh, misdiagnosis of things like narcissistic personality disorder, bipolar disorder, and also sometimes uh, borderline personality disorder. 
I'm not sure if I understood that. Like, when someone activates your nervous system by placing a demand on you, you internalize it and feel like there's something wrong with you. Yeah, I'm having a hard time understanding that. I feel like an example would have really helped me contextualize it a little bit better. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe someone else will be talking about this. Autistic people with a PDA profile tend to argue like they're lawyers from a very young age, like two years old. They are also likely to have people be their special interest and they present as more social and more socially focused um, than other autism phenotypes. This is important because this is what tends to lead to them getting misdiagnosed because it tends to be their demand avoidance that's noticed, especially if they're externalizing mm -hmm. PDAers. Their demand avoidance gets noticed before autistic traits because they seem to be able to socialize um, on the surface and that's where they get misdiagnosed with oppositional mm -hmm. defiant disorder. One of their strategies for getting out of demands might be to be funny and silly and play kind of the clown role. And so this might be the kid that in class is making jokes and pretending to fall out of their chair um, when they're supposed to be actually taking an a test or doing an assignment. As we've discussed in our previous videos, internalizers shut down and keep everything locked in. So all you're going to see is really a quiet child sitting in the corner for the most part. But Okay, I think she explained it a little bit more clearly for me. Hmm, I feel like I've experienced that too, but not as often as somewhat externalizing it, whether that's like asking multiple questions, outright refusing to do it, or trying to make bids is what I call it. Like you're trying to compromise with the other person as to like, if you want me to do this, what are ways that I could get it done in a way that I feel comfortable with? But for the most part, I don't think I just straight up shut down and internalize it. I think because, again, everyone's different, right? For me, I feel like I'm the type of person to always advocate for myself. I think a part of it is, yes, my personality naturally, but I also think with the upbringing that I had in the environment I was in, having parents like mine, you can't just go along with everything or else they will just eat you up. And so I kind of learned from those environments to have to stand up for myself as much as possible and to speak up. Externalizers um, tend to lash out. And so you tend to see how they're feeling and they tend to have uh, very big meltdowns um, that can be pretty aggressive. When we think about PDA being a threat response and that you feel threatened when your autonomy is um, at risk, that threat response is going to send you into fight or flight. If you are fighting and you're an externalizer who feels like you're being threatened, you're going to fight like you're fighting for your life. And that's the struggle with um, PDAers, whether they're children or they're adults, is that when you get these externalizing PDAers, um, their, their meltdowns and their fighting can be so aggressive towards themselves and towards others that it becomes very, um, very dangerous very quickly. Mm. They also in childhood tend to need um, constant attention and somebody that's constantly with them to help them regulate their central nervous system so they don't feel stressed and anxious. That's interesting to think about because my initial thought is like, I don't need that. But then the second thought is like, did I need that? And I just didn't have it. And I had to learn how to cope without it. So now I'm just reflecting, what would it have been like if I actually had Oh my god, I'm gonna start crying if I think too much about it. Like, what would it be like if I had someone there, like a parent that actually was able to help me through those moments to regulate and to help me just find ways around it, whether that's eventually finding a way to comply or helping me to figure out how to compromise and make me feel less broken, less guilty, less problematic. Definitely a food for thought. Um, and so that can be very, very difficult when you have a child with a PDA profile that's externalizing because the parent um, a lot of times has to sit right next to that child 24 hours a day and they can't do anything else. They can't have conversations. They yeah, my parents weren't like that. If I ever did anything that they didn't want me to do, they would just straight up neglect me and abandon me. I was just irrelevant to them. Either that or they'd yell at me and then abandon me. So yeah, definitely didn't have a parent next to me 24 seven regulating with me and making sure I was okay. They aren't allowed to put up, take out their phone and start doing something on their phone. Their child expects their focus on them even when that child does not want interaction from that parent. They still expect them to just kind of sit there and body double for them. 
And lastly, there is equalizing behavior. So if a child with a PDA... I feel like I've been through this. I feel like I've seen a lot of my clients go through this with their partners as well. Check in with your person about this. But for the most part, I find that checking in on us and being there to help regulate with us, even if you are the cause of the dysregulation, goes over a lot better than if you were to just give us our space and ignore us because that almost adds on to the resentment because you're thinking in your head I'm dysregulated because of you and you're abandoning me through this moment of dysregulation like that's not nice that's not loving like I would rather you to come support me through my dysregulation even if you're the one that dysregulated me a profile feels that you have threatened their autonomy in some way um they might engage in what's called equalizing behavior where they need to do something to put you in a one down position or them in a one up position so they can even the playing field and feel like they are back in control of that situation interesting i definitely feel like i've done that before not anymore but as a teenager i did this one a lot and I was a brutal teenager. I'm going to say that right now. I was brutal. If someone disrespected me or was trying to force themselves onto me in any sort of way, I would not stand for that. I've said some pretty messed up things. And it is possible for one to switch from being an internalizer to an externalizer. If an internalizer, all of their resources get taken up and they're no longer able to mentally check out to cope or retreat within themselves to cope, um, such as when they're parenting, um, they might start to have outward meltdowns that are very explosive. All right. I think we watched a good amount of videos so far. I hope today's video was just as enlightening for you as it was for me. I think I learned a lot about PDA today. And again, I'm not going to definitively say that I have it just because I'm not officially diagnosed with it. But I'm sure a lot of you may agree with me. Like I had a lot of those characteristics being exhibited throughout my whole lifetime. And it's always interesting to recontextualize your life with this new type of knowledge because it provides you a new understanding of yourself and it also allows you to see how, let's say the PDA symptoms presented in you and how they transform throughout life and what led to those transformations. Let me know in the comment section down below what was the most interesting thing that you learned on today's video and whether or not you think you have PDA autism. Make sure you guys take some time today to regulate yourself. I will see you guys on the next video. Take care.